You just say the word selection, and for some people, the first thing that comes to mind is maybe PE class when you were young, perhaps um, on the job, somebody picking a project management team. But it stirs up a lot of emotions in us. Selection does. You might even be feeling like these guys. You've maybe been in a place where you're like, pick me, pick me, and want to show your best stuff because all of us want to be picked. We all want to be chosen. And this morning, we're talking about selecting leaders. And we're looking in Acts. This is Act 2. Last week, Act 1, we talked about trifocal vision, how we, as a community of faith, we're going to be focused, like trifocals are, three directions. One is the here piece, that's local. One is the near piece, that's regional. And one is the far piece, and that's international. But this week, we're talking about we can't really do those things. We can't really accomplish a lot without leaders to do those things because leaders help advance the acts of Jesus. We know that the book of Acts is a whole story of how Jesus advanced his work, his acts, if you will, through men and women that became what is known as the early church, the first church. And we want to be jumping in, living in the middle of that stream. We want to be a place where the acts of Jesus are propelling us into and bringing his kingdom on earth. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That's what we want to see. And one of the things that he uses to do that are leaders. And that's why act two is leadership matters. Now, I say leadership matters because people matter. Because God's acts being advanced are all about helping us, helping people experience his life. You know, in recent history, we can think of leaders who really advanced God's acts. And I think of this coming Monday. We're going to be celebrating Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday. A man who understood that all men are created equal. All women, all men, all people are created equal. In God's image. And he led a movement to help more of that reality come to earth, be happening on earth, be practiced in our culture. He made a tremendous difference in helping all peoples be created equal. Not, it's not realized yet, but he made a tremendous surge forward that one leader making a huge difference. And we get to celebrate him. In my own life, I think back to one of my first encounters with how a leader could help advance God's work. It could help advance his acts happening. And I was just a freshman, sophomore in, in high school. And I got a new youth pastor as a freshman. His name was Randy Edwards. He was attending Northwest Christian College in Eugene. But I lived in a little town of 7,000. And our youth group was 20 kids when he came. Now, Randy did not have anything on his outward appearance that said he's going to attract students and he's going to lead lots of students to Jesus. But he had a whole lot going on the inside that told us that. And our youth group in that two years grew from 20 to 120 students. Kids who didn't know Jesus, who decided to start that relational journey, to start the conversation and become impassioned and in love with Jesus. And some of those students went out to be pastors and missionaries, all kinds of roles, marketplace leaders, because of one guy. The next two youth pastors were wonderful, but they didn't nearly advance it as much as that first one Randy did. That difference that leaders can make, that's why selection is so important to us, because leaders make a difference in in advancing God's work in us So we want to be a place that will identify and select leaders in a way that will honor God and show great respect for what he's doing in each person's life. Because we need to respect what God's up to in people's lives, even while we're selecting leaders. Because it might be a great person, 
But maybe what God's up to right now is doing something else. And so we need to let them be focused on that and hold off. So this whole leadership selection thing, just a lot of emotions attached to that. And we're going to take a look in Acts in the first chapter. And if it's a Bible under the rack in the chair in front of you, it'd be page 770. But it's Acts, the first chapter, verses 15 through 26. And we're going to see about this leadership selection process that happened and take some lessons from it ourselves. So it begins in verse 15 of Acts 1. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120, and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke long ago through the mouth of David concerning Judas, who served as a guide for those who arrested Jesus. He was one of our number and shared in this ministry. With the reward that he got for his wickedness, Judas bought a field. And there he fell headlong. His body burst open and all his intestines spilled out. Mm, Blood, guts, and gore on Sunday morning. Hope your breakfast was a while ago. Everyone in Jerusalem heard about this. So they called that field in their language, Al-Kadama. That is, field of blood. For, said Peter, it is written in the book of Psalms, may his place be deserted, let there be no one to dwell in it. And another place in the psalm, Psalm 109, may another take his place of leadership. Therefore, it's necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. From one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. So they proposed two men, Joseph called Barsabbas, also known as Justice, And Matthias, then they prayed this prayer. Lord, you know everyone's heart. Show us which of these two you have chosen to take over this apostolic ministry, which Judas left to go where he belongs. Then they cast lots and the lot fell to Matthias. So he was added to the 11 apostles. Now, when we take a look at this story, interestingly, we're going to launch the whole discussion of leadership selection on this failure of a leader. It all started with the failure of a leader, and that is Judas, who betrayed Jesus. And many of us have experienced failure of leadership in our lives. Not only our own failures, but failure of leaders that we were following, that we were listening to, that we were looking to, that have disappointed us. And I won't ask for a show of hands, but I can assure you that even working with church planters, they had been disappointed, and sometimes painfully so, disappointed with leaders. And that can do one of two things for us. It can either create a wall between us and God and his plans to work through us and and in us through leadership, or it can launch us to becoming the best disciple that we can be because we learn from the mistakes of the people that are leading us. We forgive and we move on. So it can either paralyze us because we've let it become an issue between God and us, well, God, I'm just going to worship you in the forest and I'm just going to stay home and I'll read my Bible because, you know, that pastor back when hurt me and, you know, didn't do me right. There can be that kind of response or there can be the, God, I forgive them. I let them, you, they're going to stand before you. And now, Lord, I just want to be everything you want me to be. I don't want to be that kind of leader in another person's life. And so at the beginning of our conversation about leadership selection is this opportunity for each one of us to make a decision that leaders matter to God. Therefore, it should matter to us. And in that, let's let go of the past. 
whatever that past might be in a healthy way, which is learn the best lessons you can, learn from the past. But let's move on with God. You, you have to get it back up after failure. And that's what these guys understood. You know, they didn't give up and say, well, we've only got 11 who made it out of the 12. Forget it. We're not going to replace them. Might get another bad one. That's what we do, isn't it? When we've been hurt, when somebody's failed, there's the temptation. But we don't have to do that. And so we want to take a look at two things in this leadership selection process. And first of all is how leaders or why leaders are selected. Leaders are selected to address particular needs that are identified, that either God puts the spotlight on through another person or through that person themselves that's listening to God about it. And in this particular Acts example, in Acts 1, verses 22 and 21 and 22 that we read, what was the need? They needed another person, a 12th person, to be an eyewitness of Jesus' life and ministry, beginning with when he was baptized by John in the Jordan River and ending with when on the Mount of Olives they saw him go up into heaven to be with his father. There had to be somebody who was with him the whole way. Because to be an eyewitness, had to have these two eyes. So that was the need that they identified. But you know, that's not the only need identified for leaders. That's, that's just the one in this story. What were some of the other needs that were identified in Acts? In Acts 6, we see a problem arise in the early church that they were distributing food to widows. They took care of widows who had no family to care for them. That's written about later in the New Testament as well. And the Greek-speaking Jewish widows were getting shorted, or at least they felt so. That was definitely the assessment. And there was fighting between the two cultures, between the Hebrew and the Greek-speaking widows. So now you've got a multicultural, multi-ethnic fight going on. And the need was to get the distribution worked out, that the distribution would be done fairly. And they found someone to do it. Acts 16, what was the need? Paul needed an assistant for his missionary journey because Barnabas had just decided to go another direction with his own ministry partner, John Mark. And so now he's in need. There's a vacancy here because he definitely needs a partner in ministry. And that need drove him to select another leader. So it's all kinds of needs that can drive us to select. In Acts 13, Paul and Barnabas were laid hands on, prayed for, and sent out because there was a need to take the gospel to places that had not heard the good news of Jesus. That was Paul's assignment from God. He went places where no man had gone with the good news. He was not the person assigned to build on others' foundations, like taking an existing church. Paul was a church planter. He was there to give the news first. And that need for people to hear the good news is what drove the selection of them to go out on this first missionary journey. So all kinds of things that drove that. And the same is true for us. Just a few months ago, one of our um, fellow evergreen uh, attenders and participants came to me. And she had what Bill Hybels calls a Popeye moment. And this is a lot how God highlights a need for a new leader. Somebody has a Popeye moment. Now, those of you who are familiar with Popeye, he's the sailor man who sprouts muscles when he takes his spinach. Okay, he has these moments where he sees something going on that he doesn't like, sometimes to olive oil, right? Okay, so he sees this happening, and he needs to do something about it, but he's not strong enough without a spinach. And he says this, that's all I can stands, I can't stands no more. And he pops his spinach out and plops it down his throat. Man, he swallows the whole can at once. And amazingly, he grows muscles and he tackles the problem. He addresses the need that goes on. And Cherie, one of our single parents in the congregation, 
she had a Popeye moment about other single parents. She said, there's no place for us to get together and share what we're learning, our collective wisdom, because there is more wisdom with multiple people, aren't there? The riches are in the room, much better than just one mind all by itself. So there's the collective wisdom, but there's also that praying together and sharing your gnarly, naughty problems that you're facing. You know, those things that you're trying to figure out and having somebody to go on the trail with you is so much better. And so she's seeing this, that there's a need. There's something missing. And she comes and says, we've got to do something about this. And here's what I'd like to do. We'd like to start a single parent support group. And so Cherie, along with uh, McGee's, that is Lindy and Darren McGee, um, have a kiosk right up here in the lobby after the service and they're welcoming people to come and find out more about this support group they're going to have an informational meeting on january 24th but leaders are selected to address specific needs these popeye moments that get us going that highlight something that where god wants to act well we've had more than that blended families this happened some years ago now dennis and lynn minter were looking around and they're a blended family and they saw a need for other blended families to have a place where they could share the things they were learning and help them work through the things that attack the family when it's a blended family things like you're not my dad you know comments like that or you're not my mom and where they could tackle things together pray together and have friends together that understood their situation. And so they started Blended Families Group. And this March, they're going to expand that because they knew there were a lot of blended families that weren't hearing about that yet. And they're going to expand those groups. Or what about Lori Dickerson that we just sent to Uganda? How did that happen? She showed us pictures where she and Rogers had wandered the village of Budaka, Uganda. And what happened? They had a Popeye moment. That's all we can stand. We can't stand no more. Watching those kids around the village and the adults and the hopelessness on their faces. And they begin to realize God wants something more for these kids. These kids could have hope. They could have a livelihood that would help them have a living when they could support family members like they already do but without much help. And we could do something about this. So a leader is selected. In this case, sometimes a team of leaders selected. And even now, A.J. Swoboda, who we gave to out of our Advent Conspiracy, who's starting a church in the Hawthorne District. How did that happen? Same thing. He and his wife came and visited a cafe in the Hawthorne District. They were, they were at the U of O doing ministry there. They come there, have coffee. They look around that coffee shop, and they start seeing all these wonderful students and young creative professionals. And they look a lot like the students at the U of O. There's lots of tattoos, and there's lots of piercings, and there's lots of color about them in every way and they go these people matter to god they don't know about him in fact some of them maybe are fighting him right now fighting the idea that he even exists they need to know that they're loved and that got him started he had his popeye moment that's what god does and you know there's a there's a moment like that going on right now it's really more than a moment it's happening in the country of haiti and i want to invite you to take a look at a current need that we're faced faced with and then we're going to have the leader that we've selected to help us address that need come and tammy Furman's going to pray with us and help us understand what next steps could look like not the whole plan for the next five years but just next steps so let's take a look at this video together
Our hearts have been wrenched this week as we've watched this tragedy unfold. And we as a church and as individuals want to be poised to pray, to listen, and to respond in love. So let's take a moment and pray together. Father God, we would cry out to you that you would give us your heart of compassion for this nation, Lord, for the broken, for the families that have been torn apart for the grieving, for the wounded. Lord, help us to listen to you and know what you are calling us to do, how to respond in love. Lord, we pray for, we pray for the aid workers, the emergency relief workers. Grant them success that lives would be saved. Father God, help them to work together in unity. Lord, we would ask that what the enemy has intended for evil would be turned to good, that this would be a time when we would reach out and be the hands and feet of Jesus, Lord, when your love would be experienced, when a nation of individuals would turn to you and they would rebuild under you, Father God. We ask for these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. On an immediate scale, We want to just encourage you to pray, listen, and respond in love. And the experts, those who are already there, who have been there long-term, they tell us that the thing to do right now is to give financially. So we're going to post on our website. I know that many of you are aware of these, but if you want information, we're going to post on our website some agencies, trusted, effective, already there on the ground agencies that you can give your money to. Um, Mission Teams International, Mercy Corps, these are local ministries that are there now. Um, Red Cross, uh, Samaritan's Purse, Partners in Health, they've been there for 30 years and have been asked by the United Nations to lead, coordinate the medical efforts there. Pray. Listen and then respond sacrificially to what God is calling you to do. And if you happen to be an Intel employee, there may be other employers in the area doing this too, but they will double your giving to any American 501C. My husband and I have already given, and we took in the receipt, and they doubled it, and I want to honor them for that publicly. Then in the coming weeks and months, our goal is to listen both to God and to Uh, the people who can inform us and be poised, be poised to pray, to listen and to respond in love about how we might long-term be involved in the rebuilding process. And when it is time and when he has showed us, we want to be poised to respond, to send, to go, to be a part of that rebuilding process. And if that is something that you would like to just be kept in the information loop about as we go through that discovery process, if on your connection card, if you would just write Haiti, we're going to put together a database and an email list and we'll keep you informed. I look forward to partnering with you and what God's going to do. Some Popeye moments are just much, much more um, wrenching than others. So needs are identified and leaders are selected to address those particular needs. But how do we go about selecting leaders? And we're going to just take a look at this passage, which is not alone in how it portrays it. 
And there's really this triad um, that relates to selection of leaders. And I'd like to introduce it to you right up front. There's character, and there's competency, and there's calling. And we're going to take a look at each of these three things. It's not the only place that it's seen. And one of our other Jared and I's favorites is when it talks about David and his selection to be king over Israel. And in the Psalm, Psalm 78, verse 72, and if you go to verse 70 first, it says he took that God called David out of the sheep pen. And in 72, it says, and he shepherded them with integrity of heart, with skillful hands, he led them. This triad, you can see it over and over again in Scripture if you take a look at other leaders that God called of character, competency, and then calling. And so we want to look at it in that order together. In this particular passage that we took a look at, what are the verses? In verse 21, it says, we need someone who's been with us the whole time. That with us the whole time was an idiom, a Jewish idiom. It was common in their day. It was actually like a little saying, a little phrase that they used a lot. Very common. It'd be like us saying, we're tight. It's somebody we're tight with. So other people might be, we're like this, you know? That's what it would have been like in their culture. They were not talking about a groupie, a band groupie here, you know, that follows the band around and hangs out outside of the clubs where they're playing. It was more like the roadie relationship. And a roadie sets up and tears down at every location. And the band loves them. This is the, this is the group of people that knows them inside out, knows what each setting on the instruments needs to be in each piece of the technology, where it needs to be on the stage, all of that. There's this intimate knowledge with them. So they weren't talking about somebody just on the fringes who happened to meet them coming down from the Mount of Olives one day and they picked them up and they started joining in. They're talking about a relationship where they could really know what this person was like, that character issue. Now, not only that, in verse 24, we have them starting their prayer with, Lord, you know everyone's heart. You know every man's heart. And there was this invitation to the Lord. That word heart there is, Lord, you know everyone's appetites, desires, passions, motives, intentions. Fill in the blank. It's all of those things. The heart encompassed all of those in this prayer. They knew that only God knew those hearts. Just this morning, I was having my devotions, and it's the 17th, so it's Proverbs 17, verse 3. The crucible for silver, the furnace for gold, but the Lord tests the hearts. It's the Lord who can really do this. So they were engaging him in prayer to help him determine the final ruling on this character piece. Lord, you see everything. You see from the inside out, and that's so important to us. Proverbs The 21st chapter, the second verse says it this way. All a man's ways seem right to him. All of us, you know, at one time or another have said, I'm doing all right. But it's the Lord that weighs the heart. The Lord can see underneath all of our behaviors. And have you guys ever acted better than you were thinking? I I mean, I have, so let me raise both my hands. Um, And nothing wrong with that, but it's just that God knows everything that's going on. He knows when I really haven't forgiven. He knows when I really am wishing I could, you know... Uh, like kick that person the other side of the room, you know, that kind of thing. If I dare admit to that, God knows that. And so that's this thing of him coming in and saying, how important character is to God. He looks at us from the inside out. And in this situation, if you think about 1 Timothy 3 and Titus, where the, the pastoral epistles, those are two of them. And in that, they describe what an overseer, what a pastor, what a leader in the church needs to look like. And if you look at both those passages and write down all the qualities, there's 21 different ones mentioned. 
And out of those 21, 19 of them have to do with character. And two have to do with skill or competency, which we're going to look at next. Which indicates God's preoccupation, if you will, with our character, us becoming more and more like Jesus. Now, I got to thinking about Jared and I's ministry. And across all the years that we've worked with leaders in every venue, local churches, we pastored four churches before Evergreen, and in denominational ministry, working with church planters across the country, thinking about all the failures that we're aware of. And you know, the interesting thing is almost 100% or 100% of those were in the area of character, not in the area of skill. Rarely would you find a failure to skill. And I thought back to my own. Let's get real here. Let's get close and personal. I thought back to my own experience, my first experience and early experiences in leadership. I was leading worship for a women's Bible study at 5.30 in the morning. And the women's pastor at Faith Center was my mentor. Her name was Dawn Ann Bowman. And she um, wanted to meet with me after the Bible study one day. And I said, okay, let's meet. And she says, well, tell me about how you got ready for worship today, to lead worship. And, I mean, I was so busted because she said, you're running on fumes. That's what it feels like to me. Worship feels a little stale. That means something's going on with you. And, you know, so I just had to admit I hadn't prepared like I should have. I was running on fumes. And that is a character issue, you know, either in my time management or in my thinking that I can do it without him. You know, I don't need to take the time to listen to him and follow his directions in it. I can just run around from place to place. I'm, I'm so important. I need to be everywhere. So those are character issues. Character's important. The second one in our triad, competency. So we say this person has great character. That's one of the ways we identify potential leaders, like these two men that they identified. If they don't pass the character test, you know, I need to be able to say like Paul, follow me as I follow Christ. Not perfectly, but watch me and wherever I get it right, like Jesus, then follow me. But there's also this competency. Competency kinds of sound cold and technical to me. But it just means having the abilities that are needed for the need that's going to be addressed. It's matching the strengths needed to address that need and the strengths that that person embodies or has in them. That's what competency is all about. These football players, great examples of it. Okay, look at the receivers. What did they want to show us about themselves? They wanted to show us how well they could catch the ball. I like the guy who caught the third football between the other two. You know, I mean, of course, that's impressive. That's what a receiver needs to be good at. And how about the quarterbacks? There were a couple of them in there. And I like the guy who threw the two balls one after another, and they hit midair and went to two receivers. I mean, of course, what kind of quarterback do you want? You want one that can throw. You're really not impressed if they can kick it. They need to be able to throw the ball. That's this competency issue. The running backs. A running back has to rush with the football. They need to find an open lane. They need to find a way to get through a couple of those defensive men. So the guy going through the car, the SUV... He wanted to show you, hey, I can get through this vehicle. I'm, I am good at finding the open spot and making my way through it. And what about that kicker? Come on, ringing that bell in the bell tower. Okay, we don't, these things are staged, right? Okay, <laughs> but ringing that bell in the bell tower. Now, interesting, the kicker, he didn't just want to say, I've kicked it a long ways. Because guess what? There are many people who are good at kicking the ball a long way, and they're not on NFL teams as kickers. You have to kick it long and accurately. And he wanted us to know, I can hit the bell in that bell tower. You know, he was highlighting the strengths needed to do the job that he wanted to do on the team. Pick me and see what I can do. 
Well, in our passage, we have the abilities that needed to happen. Because they needed to be an eyewitness, there was a necessity that they had to be. The competencies that this person had was we assume that they were able to share in public because to be an eyewitness, you're going to have to talk to other people. It means to testify that it's so about what you've seen. But secondly, also, that he had to have actually witnessed it. But what about some of the other places in Acts? In Acts 6, when we referred to the Grecian widows who needed their food distributed to them, it, it said that they had to pick seven men who were, here's the qualifiers, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. Not amazing that they needed somebody with wisdom to work out this problem in a multiracial, multi-ethnic environment. Needed somebody who had wisdom. That's a competency. That's something they needed. How about Acts 15? Acts 15, now we have another problem. The church in Jerusalem and the church in Antioch are fighting about or disagreeing about certain tenets of the Christian faith. Circumcision and animal sacrifice to idols and whether you eat those animals and what happens to you if you do and just a bunch of different things that they weren't in agreement on. And the the council in Jerusalem, the leaders of the early church at that time were making a decision about it. And the decision was made, and they needed it to be delivered to the church in Antioch, where most of the action was happening, most of the disagreement. And what were the qualifications? They said they picked two men who were leaders in Jerusalem and men who have risked their lives for the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because what did they need in that situation? Huge credibility. They're delivering a message from the hierarchy in Jerusalem They needed people who, I mean, what are you going to say? These guys risked their lives for Jesus Christ, and you're going to doubt their sincerity and genuineness when they come and deliver this? These are men who've proven their devotion to Jesus. That was a high quality. Well, what about we just picked, or we've picked recently, our missions pastor, Tammy, and she's leading our efforts in Haiti, but our efforts in other countries as well. And today at the end of the service, she'll be sharing with people who are interested in the lobby about a trip to Brazil. What competencies did we have to find have for that particular leadership position? We wanted a person with character, of course, that was above reproach, somebody who knew how to treat people. And Tammy knows how to treat people. She has a reputation for treating people well, for acting in Christ-like ways with people, and apologizing if that weren't the case, though I've not experienced that firsthand. She's also a person who has cross-cultural sensitivities, and she's effectively ministered in other countries. Notice I don't just say she's been to other countries, because you can be someplace, you can have experience doing something, but the question is, were you effective at it? Did it have good results? Was there good fruit from that? And, you know, we looked around, and nobody had been kicked out of the countries when Tammy went on the teams. And she had never been gotten the team put in jail, you know, for poor behavior. You know, that just didn't happen. She got along. She was able to communicate and able to adjust herself to the customs and the things that were going on in that country. Make herself helpful, in other words. And we also wanted somebody with the gift of discernment, which really comes from the Holy Spirit. Because you're in situations where it's multicultural and multi-ethnic, and you're in a culture that's cross-cultural for you. It's not what you're used to. You need discernment to know, what am I dealing with here? Is this something cultural Or is this something that's really coming from the heart of this person and knowing how to address it? And then we wanted somebody who was a team builder because when you're taking teams other places, you need to not only be able to lead the team but put those teams together and encourage them and have a high morale atmosphere for them. And Tammy had a proven track record with that. That's all we're talking about with competencies. It's not 
rocket science, but it is thoughtful and intentional in the process. That when we see a need and we say we need a leader to address that need, and then we ask ourselves, who are the people that meet this character and these competencies needed for this need? And then there's this third piece that we talk about, and that's calling, the third piece of the triad. So we've determined a whole pool of people, like they had two men in this instance, that met the character piece and met the competency piece. Now it's this third piece of calling or being chosen, the actual selection process. Oh, boy, this is where people can really start to feel the old PE experience where you lined up and there were two captains and they started picking people. And, I mean, I think all of our hearts go to these guys who say, pick me. This is just fantasy football going on. We're talking about real life here, things that people really dream of doing. There's this thing of, well, how could it be? You know, one guy got chosen, Matthias, and one guy didn't. You know, the other guy was never put down. It wasn't said he was a bad person or anything like that. Because it's true, all of us are chosen, but we're not all chosen for the same purposes. Sometimes we struggle with this. Yes, in selection, there will be people who are not selected for specific need. Even people who were qualified like Justice was. Interestingly, we never hear about Matthias again either. Okay, so these two men, we really never hear anything else about in the rest of Scripture. Um, Because, you know, Paul was the more prominent and... Many think the the true 12th apostle. But all that to say that it's not a put down to not be selected. There was no um, denigration. There was no um, he's less than. But we live in a superstar culture. And we live in a very hierarchical place where there's the person at the top. And that can infiltrate the church in our thinking. So when we're not selected, we suddenly rank ourselves. And where do we go? Down. That's down if I'm not selected. But that's not God's economy because he's saying all of us have been chosen. If you doubt that this morning, I can't do a whole treatise out of 1 Corinthians chapters 12 through 14. But this is where it talks about the manifestation of the Spirit is given to each of us for the common good. And it's a different expression in each of us. And there's different members. And they look different and they have different functions. That's what we mean when we say every last one of us sitting here. Whether you love God, whether you even believe he exists, he loves you. You are chosen by him today. But it's a question of what are you chosen for? And there's a timing issue as well that we'll see. What are you chosen for in this time? And the word chosen means exactly what it says there. To pick, to select out of a group. In fact, the word was used when Jesus was at a special meal. It was a banquet. And he was watching people and they were all picking out the the top seats. The best seats in the house, so to speak. And he decided to teach him a little lesson about that. Or it was used again when Mary and Martha were preparing to have a party. And Jesus was there early. And Mary stopped. And it says she stopped and sat at Jesus' feet. And she chose. She selected. She picked out the better part. means just what it says. As uncomfortable as that might be. So then we say, well, how did they do that? So how did they figure out which of these two guys? Well, it was really interesting. They did it with lots. Now, lots are little pieces of wood or stone or some other material. Sometimes they write the names on it. Sometimes they might number them. It depends on what they're deciding. But it wasn't uncommon. It was a culturally uh, prevalent practice, both then and in the Old Testament. They might put them in a garment, shake it, and toss them out. They might put them in a container of another sort and toss them out. Or they might just take them in their hands and toss them and see who got picked. We don't know which of those, but nonetheless, it was 
lots. That sounds a lot like pulling straws to decide who does dishes. You know, that's what I grew up with. Well, it, it was about that much, but they offered this prayer first. Now, I was having coffee yesterday with Jared and his sister Judy and her husband, and they grew up in the Mennonite church, and they can recall very early on, it was a very impressive experience, when they needed a new bishop in their church. That's what they called them. And two men stood at the front of the church, and they had slips of paper in a Bible, just like this, and they were sticking out. And the two men came up, and they pulled a slip out. And they can't remember whether it was who got the shortest or who got the longest, this strip of paper. But one of them pulled the right one and he was the man. Because they saw this as prescriptive. Now, when we look through the book of Acts and other places in scripture, we have to ask this question. Is this prescriptive, meaning I do exactly as it says, or is it descriptive, which means this is a culturally restrictive practice that was common in the day? And you really have to determine that in a couple of ways. But in this case, we're very certain that this was not prescriptive, that it was descriptive of a culturally prevalent practice. And God honored it in every way, as he did Old Testament to New Testament. But one of the things that gives us an assurance that this wasn't prescriptive, meaning the way we should always select leaders, you know, let's just get a lot of brooms here and pull out of straws or cut our notebook paper up, make lots of strips, because we're going to be doing that quite a bit around here. Let's see, who should teach fours and fives? You know, start cutting the strips. No, instead we look at the other places, just in the book of Acts alone, and there's more than that, that talk about other ways that they selected. Even the Acts 6 one. They prayed, they said these are the qualities we need, they prayed, and then they picked them. There's no mention of casting lots there. The same for Barnabas and Paul when they were talking about sending them out in Acts 13. They were praying and fasting. That's not an uncommon criteria right there. That's something that was happening in the environment. But they prayed, and then it says the Holy Spirit said, these are the two I've picked. So there's this whole discernment process of men and women hearing from God and then appointing and sending out. And so there was a variety of ways, and that's why we understand that this wasn't prescriptive, that we're not to toss the stones out or the the markers or draw straws. Um, It's not prohibited, but it's not prescribed. So that's an important thing, that selection process. We want to be people who honor God and respect what God's doing in people's lives in the way that we select leaders. And so we're going to always be looking at character and competency And then what will come into play at the end is that calling peace. God, you see the heart. Who have you chosen for this? So we ask ourselves, so what? You're saying, hey, I'm sitting here. This is 2010. What does this have to do with me right now individually? And I just want to encourage you. This, who will you and I be this year? We get to decide this. It doesn't matter if you have an assignment in as a, quote, leader or not. Every one of us is leading someone. And that brings to mind this. What will we do about our character this year? If all of us made a commitment to grow in Christ this year, each and every one of us, that at the end of 2010, we could each say, I'm more like Jesus in this area or this area. What could that look like? That could look like our neighbors, our co-workers, our fellow students, our friends and, and people we rub shoulders with all week coming to us and asking us for advice. Much like our son had happened just a few weeks ago. He was interviewing for his residency down, in Los a- down around the Los Angeles area, and he had his roommate from his sophomore year in college call him and say, hey, let's get together. So they met at In-N-Out Burger. And over a couple good burgers, got to have an amazing talk because he was struggling in his life. Who did he think of to turn to? 
Somebody where he'd seen consistent character of Christ coming through. Somebody he thought might have some wisdom to help him with that. What if each one of us was growing in Christ? That would be our experience. At the end of this year, it would be us that our neighbors would be turning to because out of our lives would be emanating that order of Christ, the peace that Christ brings, and the kind of life that people want where relationships aren't blowing up, they're growing up together. We can be those people this year. And what about if we discovered this competency thing, which is discovering what God has chosen for you to be and to fulfill, what God's purposes are for you? How does he want to apply your gifts in helping others, whether in the marketplace or in the church? You know, if we all discovered a little bit more of what God wanted for us this year, we'd have an amazing experience this year at Evergreen. In this service, there have been a huge expansion of kids in our kids' ministry, like double, 18 twos and three-year-olds alone in this month of January at this 11 o'clock service. And instead of having just enough to help those kids understand that they're loved by God and create a safe environment and a fun place where they can discover more of who God is. Instead of just enough, we would have more than enough, like they did in this situation. I want to be a church, a community, where there's more than enough, where there's more leaders than we have spots for. Because that takes us to a whole other place where we can be a place that parents come and bring their kids and experience that wow experience. Kids are valued here as much as adults. They matter to God and they matter to us. And that third piece, sharing our faith in Christ. This is the calling that no matter what other gifts you have, we're all called to do. And I'm not talking about getting on a platform or standing downtown with a poster, though that might be something God asks you to do someday. I'm talking about each one of us sharing in conversation what God's done in our lives with the people that we know and love and rub shoulders with. And each one of us could do that. This year, what if each one of us won one and had a love list of people? I have a love list of people. These are people in my network that don't know Jesus yet. And what if we spent five minutes every day this year praying for those five people? And at the end of this year, what would happen? If each one of us would win one, we'd have a lot more problems than 18 twos and threes. The place would be overrun. And that brings us to just our final thoughts. And this is our thoughts about Evergreen. What would we as a community look like? We want to be a community that selects leaders of leaders. There's a difference, you know. You can be a leader that does the work yourself or you can lead a team of leaders that gets it done. And if we want to identify and develop leaders, then we have to have leaders who are willing to mentor other people, to bring other people along. And so we're going to be a place that does that, and we are starting that. And it has been in a place in the past. Abby is our first intern since we got here, Abby Dickerson, and she's an intern in children's ministries. And she is devoting 20 hours a week free so she can give what God's given to her to our kids. It's a wonderful opportunity. But you know what? That's, that can feel more programmatic. What we're really talking about is no one doing anything alone. Like our women's ministry director, Linda Boffman, when she got ready to plan the women's retreat, she picked a younger woman, a young leader, to lead with her. And next year, she can take it and lead it. That's what we want to do if we want to be a place that develops leaders. And we want to choose leaders in a prayerful process because we want to respect what God's up to in each other's lives. Why would we want to interfere with what God was up to by intercepting somebody and putting them in the wrong spot? We wouldn't want to do that. So we are going to listen to God. We are going to be prayerful. 
when we select leaders for any kind of assignment because God's the one who reads the hearts, who knows what he wants to do. And finally, we want to deploy leaders here, near, and far, locally, regionally, and internationally. And you know what that could look like is we could get a call. Larry Spousta, our district supervisor for Foursquare, he could be calling Evergreen and saying, hey, I need a pastor for this church. And we go, we've got a couple that you could consider, just like these two men in our story today. That's what we want to be. We want to be a place that has those leaders ready prepared to go. And we could be the on-call person. We want to have leaders prepared because we want to plant churches so more people can hear about Jesus Christ. We want a church on the east side, at least one. Probably, you know, Hillsborough is growing. It's predicted in another decade that it'll be at about 220,000. And we're at 90,000 now. So that means a lot of churches for new people. And we can be a place that raises church planters, but not only that, children's pastors. Our um, children's pastor... When they leave, having five people in place that you can choose from. Our youth pastor, Kevin, director of student ministries, wonderfully effective. Sometime God's going to say, I want you to do this over here. Who will be there? Will there be five people to choose from or two people to choose from? It can be if we commit ourselves to these things. Character and then discovering what God wants us to do. And then finally, God, you see everything. Now deploy me. What do you want me to do specifically? Well, this morning, maybe you're here and you are one of those people that said, I'm not even sure I believe in God and I'm not sure what this was, you know, what she's talking about. But it sounds like I might be interested in this Jesus that she's talking about. I just want you to know this morning that you are loved. Wherever you're at on the spectrum, that's the amazing thing about Jesus that he died on the cross for our sins, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You don't clean up your act. You don't have to fix yourself. You don't have to get yourself all spiffy looking. God loves you just the way you are. So if you think, I'm out, I'm, not the, I'm a character, all right. I'm not the kind of character you're talking about, Anne. I couldn't possibly be chosen by God. But you're just exactly who God chooses. He wants you and he showed it by sending his son jesus to die on the cross so this morning as i'm about to pray i invite you to pray with me and if your prayer is jesus today i want to start the conversation with you i want to commit my life to you i want to be forgiven then i want to invite you to let him know that tell him in your own words and he'll come in and live in you and as a helpful tool to help you get started on that journey Feel free to come talk to Jared and I out in the lobby afterwards or to see one of our ushers. They've got a yes packet. It just means I said yes to Jesus today. I decided to start the conversation. It'll be some helpful things in there to help you on your journey. Let's pray together. Father, we just say thank you to you for loving us enough to send your son Jesus to die in our place. Thank you for choosing every one of us for your purposes, Lord. Now I want to just pray, Lord, for every person here that there'd be the beginning this week, that there'd be Popeye moments all over the place where people would be saying, that's all I can stand. I can't stand no more, Lord, that we would have that kind of heart that looks out for the needs of other people and says, I won't stand by, I won't wait for another. Lord, what should I do about this? Lord, I pray for anybody out here, too, that feels they're disqualified in some way. I pray that you would come near to them, Lord. You said you're near the brokenhearted. You save all those who are crushed in spirit. 
So this morning, Lord, if there's anybody here who just, no matter what I've said, they still feel unworthy. Lord, you can communicate by your spirit. They are loved. And help them, Lord, to understand that. And then, Father, we do just open our hearts this week to discovering more of your purposes for us. And we want to be those people, like Paul, who said, follow me as I follow Christ. Kind of like a grand adventure all together at the end of 2010, where we, in unison, can say, Lord, we're more like you. Thank you for making us that way. In Jesus' name.